Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizen Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CDC. Thanks for joining us here today. Make sure that you are subscribing to What's the Data Point on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and you're giving us feedback. Either find us by email, but also on social media. You can find me at Tweet Ben Max. Maria's at Maria Dulles. You can find at Gotham Gazette, at CBCNY. Let us know what you think of the episodes. We've had some great ones so far this year and, and back into last year, and we're excited to move ahead here in city budget season today. Uh, on the podcast today, we're joined by Anna Champany, the Director of City Studies for CBC. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And we're talking the day after Mayor de Blasio released his executive budget for fiscal year 2019, which begins July 1st. And for our data point today, here's Maria. 5.8%. The increase in city-funded spending proposed in the New York City Executive Budget for fiscal year 2019. This is an increase of $3.7 billion from fiscal year 2018. It's more than twice the rate of inflation, which is around 2.4%. The total size of the budget, including state and federal funds, is now $90.80 billion under this proposal. For those keeping track at home, this represents an $18 billion increase in the size of the budget since Mayor de Blasio's first year. That's almost 25% in five years. Here to discuss the budget proposal and other important data points is Anna Champany. Welcome. All right. So that sets the stage for us because the growth numbers are significant, and um, that's captured a lot of people's attention over the course of Mayor de Blasio's term. We know some of that growth started fairly early with uh, the labor contracts being settled that had been expired, and we'll get to some of that. But um, general spending growth, where is it, you know, what, what are we looking at? Uh, so most of the, uh, the spending is being financed or, or funded this time through uh, some additional revenues that were found mainly in fiscal year 2018. So it's expected to be one-time revenue from the income tax, and it's boosted the city's uh, revenues by about a billion dollars, and they're using that to fund a variety of uh, needs which they outlined yesterday. Uh, so the new spending between this year and next year is about uh, $1.4 billion, and it includes the uh, the state actions that uh, the mayor spoke about, um, as well as some new needs in the city agencies that they're choosing to fund. And so I think Maria said spending continues to increase above inflation. Salaries, health insurance, et cetera, are obviously key to this. But then not only was there, as you said, some, some new state uh, actions that made making the city spend more, but there's also city services that are uh, having some more money put behind them. Sure. Um, so two of the largest, uh, two of the agencies seeing the largest increases are the uh, Department of Education, um, as the mayor announced with uh, council speaker and others. Uh, they're adding 125 million to fair student funding, uh, which is one of the primary funding streams for the city's schools. Uh, this is in addition to the. Um, money that they're putting in from city funds um, in response to the state uh, shortfall that they uh, had in their budget. Um, another area that is seeing another increase this time and has in recent plans is homeless services. Uh, so the city is putting in about $160 million more to fund uh, the shelter system. Um, and this is on top of some increases in um, the preliminary budget. Um, so those are two big areas. So I think there, you know, there are a couple of things we're seeing with the spending increases in this budget in particular. And one is that 
the city continues to, to be presented with challenges in managing its operations. And I think the key one there is homeless services, right? We're seeing a continual increases in homeless spending budget over budget over their estimates. They're having trouble getting the shelter plan, you know, implemented as quickly as they thought. Um, and the single population continues to, to grow. So continue channel, uh, challenge managing that, it's impacting the budget. Um, another challenge similarly on the managerial front is overtime, right? So they said, we're going to get on top of this, we're going to cap overtime, and the fire department has busted through this cap. So we're seeing kind of these managerial challenges resulting in increased expenditures. We're also seeing lots of new programs and initiatives um, uh, going forward, except I'd say, you know, nothing as major or large scale or as ambitious as in the mayor's first term where he came forward with like the pre-K program sure. and said, this is going to be my signature thing. So instead, we're seeing a lot of sprinkling, a lot of odds and ends, which is also, of course, continuing to grow the headcount. Um, the other part of this, as you say, Ben, is, you know, who's providing these services, right? It goes back to the labor and the contracts. And those costs were set um, very nicely at the beginning of the administration, but now we're at the point again that they're going to have to renegotiate the contracts. Um, and whereas the budget gaps look quite manageable now, $3 billion on a budget of $90 billion, the labor contracts could really throw all of that into flux particularly because it's not guaranteed that they were going to get labor to agree to any concessions on health insurance the way they did so successfully and so well in the first term. And so that's not really accounted for yet, right? Those, the new labor deals that we're expecting over the course of the next, let's say, year um, are not accounted for yet because they don't know what's going to be in them. There, there's some modest... Right. The, the city 1% has, or... Yes, yes, that's right. It's 1%. The city has what's called a labor reserve, and in it they've uh, put in money to fund a 1% increase. Um, but it's not clear that that's going to be sufficient. Um, and the health care, as uh, Maria mentioned, the health care costs are growing pretty rapidly, and the city is assuming that those premiums are going to be growing in the area of 6 to 7% a year. Uh, so that's a substantial cost. Um, and, and so we've mentioned, we've talked about this previously, obviously, on this podcast, but, you know, labor and associated costs, obviously, a huge driver of what the city spends money on. Necessary services, of course, and, you know, as Maria just mentioned, adding a whole new school grade is is not necessarily a bad thing at all, but mm -hmm. it costs money, it costs people, and, and so that's going to drive things up. But then there's also questions around... Where are you finding efficiencies? Where are you finding savings? What programs are, you know, no longer really costing money that should be eliminated and all sorts of stuff around good budget management that are different than that. However, this really significant growth in headcount that's largely driven at DOE, but is a across number of board. other agencies, yes, yeah. across the board, really drives up costs. It really does. And, you know, again, it's expenses not only in the short term, but you're really, once those people are there for 10 years, you have locked in long-term liabilities now on the pension side and then eventually on retiree health insurance. And for those who don't know, the city, um, obviously, as most public employers, provides a defined benefit pension. So the employees don't have any investment risk the way those of us, say, with a 401k do, who are really relying on the market performance over the long term. Payment to them is guaranteed based on their service and salary. Um, but also on health insurance, right, where employees are not paying any part of the premium. A family premium costs about $18,000 per employee. Then you get that health insurance um, when you retire as well. And that's a huge liability. 
Um, and so, you know, they've made some efforts at the city to kind of control healthcare costs in other ways. All of that has been good, but they haven't yet tackled that issue. Um, and it's unclear what will happen in this next round going forward. The contracts have started to expire. Um, they did a terrific job negotiating them, I think, reasonably the last time around, but also setting this very important precedent to say, um, we are going to do contracts with each union individually, as we always have, but part of how we think about the collective bargaining framework is also including health insurance. And so I'm really watching to see, will that be part of how they approach discussions this time around, and how successful will they be doing that, given that labor, usually the trend is, if they give back in one round, they're looking to make it up in the next. Um, and, you know, th th this could sig add significant costs to the budget going forward. And so um, I want to return to uh, the budget growth and how the city is uh, affording that. But just one more thing on the increase in the homeless services spending. As Maria said, they are, they've re-estimated what they're going to be spending in homeless services and, you know, before we started recording, as we sometimes do on Friday, we're listening to the mayor and Brian Lair and WMIC, and he was asked about that. And he, he explained, you know, it's part of the larger picture. They're getting out of the cluster sites and trying to get out of the hotels and they're opening up new shelters. But he made a semi-guarantee of sorts, he, a prediction of sorts, that he thinks this is sort of the last big um, Reestimate of of what they're going to need to spend, and that the cost should be starting to come down. That that's part of it. So that's going to be something certainly worth watching because Department of Homeless Services spending and general spending on homelessness has obviously grown tremendously under under Mayor De Blasio and been growing, of course, for for many many years. Okay, so we have city fund spending, and that's not all funds because there's state and federal dollars that come to the city, but city fund spending. Uh, here in what the mayor's outlining, up another 5.8%. That's our data point for today. So, Anna, talk a little bit more about how the city is affording this spending. Where is the money coming from? Uh, <clears throat> sure. So the majority of the, uh, the city funds comes actually from tax revenues, as would be expected. And the biggest uh, tax revenue for the city is the property tax. Um, and this has been a pretty strong performer throughout um, the mayor's first and second and coming into the second term. It uh, grows about five or six percent a year. Um, but it has a, there are a lot of issues uh, regarding inequities within the property tax. Uh, there's a pending lawsuit um, filed um, challenging the, some of these inequities, especially among different um, property types where the tax burden that's being paid uh, is inequitable even if you have sort of a similarly valued home. Um, so there's definitely um, some, uh, something to watch there. Uh, the mayor has promised uh, to appoint a property tax commission, um, so we're eagerly awaiting. Yes, um, many, many are, are. And you can wait. obviously find our older episode on that lawsuit in the property tax system uh, if folks are interested in listening more uh, on that. Right. So property taxes is a huge driver of where some of the money is coming from. Um, and then the rest are coming from sort of what we sometimes uh, call the economically sensitive taxes. Uh, these would be uh, the personal income tax, the sales tax, the uh, real property transfer tax. They're much more responsive to what's going on in the economy, to wages, uh, to disposable income. Um, and these have been, um, some have been growing, some have been flat in recent years. They haven't been as strong as they are during um, expansions. Um, 
but the big uptick this plan is in the personal income tax, um, and the city is expecting nearly $800 million more this year, um, and it stems from uh, federal tax changes, some dating back to uh, legislation from 2008 and some to the more recent Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Uh, but they're, um, they were pretty clear yesterday. They think this is a one-time bump. Uh, so this is kind of a one-time revenue source, um, and it raises the question of funding ongoing recurring needs rather than maybe putting some of that money into the reserves. Right. I mean, the, the revenue growth has been very strong, and it has facilitated this spending. And to date, the mayor has not had to make tough choices about how to spend it. Um, it's been easy to say, you know, to spend it and also to place some of it in reserve because there has been so much revenue. Um, but, you know, I, I'd like to bring sort of another idea to the table, which is um, tax cuts, right? I mean, there is a sense in public finance theory that if you end up with a surplus, you have overcharged your taxpayers for the services. Um, and so, of course, that's not to say that anytime you have a surplus, there needs to be a tax cut. However, I will say the property tax growth has been so tremendously strong during this period, um, and the mayor has been, you know, content to collect that revenue without getting serious about reform or thinking about how some of that can be returned back to residents. Um, now, the tax, where of course the city is least competitive, is the personal income tax, right? Because we have a personal income tax in the city; other places don't. Our rates are progressive; um, they tend to be higher. It really, you know, it's it's. Um, higher than other places we've studied, so it puts us at a competitive disadvantage. Of course, the mayor likes to call for more of that rather than less. Um, and of course, it requires state legislation, so it may not be practical to do. But, you know, if you think back to at least the last 20 years, Giuliani, Bloomberg, during economic expansions, there was a sense that, okay, we should give a little bit back to taxpayers, even as we're trying to to store our surplus. And we don't, ha we're not having, nobody's having that conversation now. Um, and I think it's something that should at least be considered or raised. Now, the council, I think, has tapped into this a little bit with Corey Johnson saying, well, you know, we've got folks who are really burdened by the property tax rebate, but that's not necessarily the best policy either. Right? You want to talk about that a little bit, Anna? Sure. Um, well, I think one of the criticisms of a property tax rebate is that it's a pretty broad stroke. You know, you're giving the same amount of money to every single, uh, in this case, uh, homeowner in the city. Um, I believe that the council did want to have a means test, so they, I believe they said under one hundred and twenty-five or one hundred fifty thousand right? dollars. Um, so the rebate would be for all homeowners under one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars, but it's not uh, being assessed based on the individual's ability to pay. Um, some localities do circuit breakers, and the, the city and the state have had um, do have small ones sometimes for specific subpopulations like uh, seniors who are particularly low income where the, there's a calculation done between the income and the ability to pay and the property tax burden, and you provide sort of more directed uh, tax relief. Um, so, so, on, so we should say that the city council, in its response to the mayor's preliminary budget, we're now sort of in this extended budget process that has multiple phases, but in the city council response to the mayor's preliminary budget, they called for this property tax rebate, as we were just discussing, uh, for homeowners who make less than $150,000 a year. The mayor did not include that in his executive budget, right? So now we enter, and that's just one example of things that the city council has wanted to see, and we'll get back to a little bit more of that. But that was one of the marquee things that the council called for and did not make it into the mayor's executive budget. So we can assume, and 
it's clear as day that that will form one of the main negotiation points between now and when a budget is due at the end of June. Uh, we'll see if they have an early deal. You know, who knows when they will come to a final budget for the next fiscal year, but point being the property tax rebate will be part of the discussion, surely, and we can expect somewhere overlaid there will be this announcement of a property tax commission. So how those two go together and whether the mayor just keeps refusing to do the rebate because he says, we've now got this commission, so, you know, we'll be getting to that. I mean, I think the council tried to frame it as a first step in reform. I see it as complicated, overlaid a system that's messed up, you know, so let's... Let's t- let's tackle reform, right? right? Let's get this commission. Let's look at it. Let's think of what the recommendations are to start fixing some of the problems. And your point, you know, about a, about a, any tax cuts is, yeah, it's, it's not something that's discussed. And interestingly enough, it's not even really something that's been on the landscape of us in the media who are there at the presentations asking the question just because it just hasn't been part right. of the discussion. But it's a very interesting point, maybe something we need to ask the mayor about, so I'll keep that in mind. Um, and your point about the, the personal income tax, Anna, you said that that's a, a big driver, that this big influx of cash, um, and the mayor said this at his presentation, has helped them fund both some of their new city spending, but also some of the spending that the state has now foisted upon the city in some way, shape, or form, and the mayor spent a lot of time in his budget presentation talking about, quote-unquote, hits from Albany, um, some of which we might uh, be able to dispel a little bit as hits from Albany, but he, he framed it that way. But the personal income tax issue is definitely one that's now front and center even more because of the federal reform, right? And we're talking about how high the income taxes are in New York at the state level, at the city level, and now that there's limits on how much of that can be deducted from federal tax returns, you know, these the mayor's calls for increasing those taxes are, um, you know, perhaps even more questionable. Completely counterproductive. Um, and the state, to its credit, I think, has tried to be aggressive in this front and at least come up with some workarounds on this. Um, you know, the city has not yet released any proposals, even though some of the legislation, I think, allows the city to to adopt some of the measures like the Fund for Charitable Contributions that we discussed in in a previous podcast. But... Yes, you know, the, the tax bite just got a little, um, staying a little more under this, this legislation. And, you know, <laughs> the mayor stressed several times at his presentation that um, recent political trends in, in the state legislature in Albany might make his push for a millionaire's tax even more possible, which... Again, it's not clear that the governor has any interest in that, and that could set up all sorts of battles that we've seen in part before. But it's a very interesting interplay between how the mayor's budgeting, what might be happening in Albany, the political season, MTA funding, and then one of the other big pieces of what the council wants, which is the fair fares proposal. Sure. Um, yeah, so the council uh, requested or, or called for fair fares in their preliminary budget response, um, and they were putting forth it's a $212 million to provide half-fare uh, metro cards for New Yorkers under the poverty level and veterans, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And again, this is something the mayor has said he's supportive of it, but he doesn't feel that the city should be funding it, that this should be something that the MTA funds, so he's been resistant to put it into the uh, the city budget. But, um, you know, I think the, the fair fares and the property tax rebates are two of the larger initiatives that the city council really intends to push on. Um, and together, they're nearly an additional $400 million, so uh, we're not talking small. Dollars right, here. and we should note the council is increasing its own budget by 20, uh, $22 million <laughs> as well. Um, I got to say, I think, and we're going to have him on the podcast at some point, you know, Corey Johnson, the new city council speaker, when they announced they were doing that and he had a press conference, I mean, he made a pretty convincing case about the council needing to bolster some of its divisions and some of its staff. Yeah. I'm not saying that makes it totally valid. I'm just saying he made a convincing case. And the way, you know, he talked about how they have to study and approach land use and right. they're sort of going up against city planning that has hundreds of... Right. Well, they, <laughs> you know, that's the council's one of their most important roles. And I think there's a lot of merit to saying we need to be able to think about this and, and study it and be better about it. There is a lot of merit there. I don't know, $22 million? Well, and, and he's creating new committees. Um, there's already too many committees. You know, there's right. definitely questions. I'm just saying right. that... He gave a good impassioned case about sure. why the council needs to bolster itself up to sure. be a right. check and on the mayor, the new investigations yes. staff that Richie Torres is leading, you know, so. Yes, but. and, and you know, they've got um, they've got their charter revision commission. Part of that is, is looking at their role in budgeting and how OMB is living up to the spirit of the charter and what they could do to strengthen their role there. I think they have floated some good ideas in terms of budget transparency, both on the operating and the capital side, which the capital issues are um, another big pot of things we should talk about. Um, but, you know, what's, what's going to happen in this budget negotiation? We're going to go into another round of hearings now where the council will have commissioners testify on their executive budget proposals, and then they're going to negotiate a deal. And I, I think um, it will be a, a big victory for the speaker if he can get the mayor to include fair fares. And my sense is, given the strength of the economy, the revenues are there to do it. Yeah, I mean, we have a couple of, you know, a couple of months here to see what that looks like. Re, I mean, is that something where they, they will look at re-estimates of, of the revenue coming in and potentially be able to say, oh, look, we found more money again. <laughs> right. Sure. I mean, OMB is constantly tracking sort of the dollars as they flow in. Uh, we're still in the middle, you know, um, we're just wrapping up April when many people file. Some people will have filed extensions, but they would have uh, sent in payments. So I think, you know, the books are definitely far from uh, Close things like the real estate market, you know, those revenues are flowing in on an ongoing basis. So. And the economic expansion continues. It's right. slowed and slowing, yeah. but it's still an expansion right. that's very different than a yeah. recession. Um, but, you know, even though this pretty amazing economic expansion that's going on years and years and has made Mayor de Blasio a very lucky man, yes. um, has slowed a little, but things are still looking good. I mean, he even said, you know, we don't really see big clouds on the horizon right now. I mean, there's some signs of some slowing, but so... Yeah, and, and you know, one big threat, right, was the what was going to happen with, you know, the Trump budget, and it was so austere, and what was Congress going to do, and how much of that we're going to take on, and actually the federal spending bill was was pretty good for the city, right? So he kind of dodged the bullet there. The, there was an impact from the state. It was not as terrible as it could have been, given some of the executive budget proposals we saw. And, you know, the other thing that's worth saying is he talked, like you said, Bill, uh, Ben, about these these hits from Albany, um, but he really made the executive decision to say, okay, I'm not cutting services in education because I'm getting less state aid than I expected. 
I will have city resources make up that shortfall. And that's a policy decision, and it's been, it's been made easy by the fact that they have had such strong revenue growth from the economy. And so and on, on the quote-unquote hits from Albany, um, are these long-term concerns? I mean, the mayor, you know, he outlined $530 million for this coming fiscal year. Again, there's some questions around what on that list can really be called a cut or a cost shift, but let's just sort of accept the general premise. Um, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. As Maria said, there were some things that Governor Cuomo had proposed that were not in the final state budget. Um, are, is the mayor right about having some real long-term concerns there? Are these more one-offs? I mean, is there, how do we, how do we sort of make sense of, of the city-state picture? Sure. I mean, nearly half of, of the Albany hit, as the, the mayor's called it, is uh, the subway action plan. Um, that was $254 million on the uh, operating side. There's um, additional um, $160 million or so on the capital side for that. That should be a one-time hit. The for-hire vehicle fee that was also passed in the state budget is supposed to uh, be set aside to fund the ongoing subway action plan needs. Uh, but there were proposals put forth in the executive budget by the uh, the governor to require the city to contribute more for the uh, the MTA as well as to possibly uh, siphon a portion of the city's property tax for some of these uh, capital projects. Um, and it's not, you know, those proposals could always come back to the fore, especially as the MTA tries to uh, write its house. Um, you know, other, the, the raise the age funding that the city has put in, um, you know, this is phase one, this is their implementation for the parts of uh, raise the age taking effect this October. The full uh, implementation won't be until the following year, so there will be um, additional uh, costs, and those are going to be ongoing and, and probably growing over time, uh, as well as sort of close to home. So some of these are annual ongoing uh, expenditures that the city is, is going to be so that's interesting, and, and, and that's good to have that clarity in terms yeah. of what looks like one time, what looks like ongoing. Yeah, and I think we're, you know, we're, at a, we're reaching um, a sort of change uh, in the, the relationship in that I think this is the, just the beginning of the state coming to the city and saying you have to take on more. You know, I was about <laughs> you know, to say they, something very similar. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so, you know, the, the governor has had tried to do it in some ways that were kind of unexpected and heavy-handed, you know, saying, well, garnish your sales tax. You have to pay for the subway action plan. You have to pay for the MTA capital plan. Previously, he tried something similar with CUNY. Um, but I think there are going to be proposals that ask the city to take on more of the expense just because the city is doing very well. Um, yeah, I've asked the mayor about this. You know, it's interesting because when the city had its fiscal crisis mm -hmm. and, you know, has not had the really strong economic picture that it has now, mm -hmm. the state stepped in and Governor right. Cuomo has repeatedly said, you know, I have I have pretty big deficits to close and gaps to close and the city's got a lot of money. Well, he's not wrong. I mean, he's got the caps. He's strictly managed his own agencies, keeping them basically frozen for, you know, God long, you know, since 2012 or 2011, right? He's holding the line on Medicaid, which is the big expense at the state budget. He's been very liberal with school aid, but otherwise, I mean, he's really managing his house very strictly. And let's not forget, outside of New York City, the state is not doing that great. I mean, you've got growth in Long Island, Mid-Hudson Valley, 
after that, you know, you've got pockets of good stories, but the, you know, the regions are not doing so well. And he's thinking about that. I mean, maybe he's not doing the most productive things in some, in terms of some of these economic development initiatives, but it is front and center about, you know, what he thinks and has to manage. And so, yeah, he, you know, he's got to close his budget mm-hmm. gaps. And um, as I said, I think, you know, we'll start to see more proposals that require the city to take on some of what state aid would have previously funded. And we're about to enter a new right. negotiation around what might be needed for the bus action plan yes. that the MTA just released and the next and MTA the capital LIR plan. And action plan <laughs> and all these plans. I mean, the MTA and NYCHA. We didn't even get to NYCHA, oh, right, right? Right, right? You know, right, right. here, the, the two big authorities, two very important public services, both have a lot of needs, and I think that the the push and the focus will be on the city to yeah. do more. Yeah, and, and there was a bit of talk at the mayor's presentation about that is not accounted for in the budget around additional NYCHA spending that might be required by the governor's executive order. And there's a lot of attention now in the language in the executive order, which people are saying, wow, might open up for for hundreds of millions of dollars in spending. So Mm -hmm. um, that's something to watch for. And the mayor also said (laughs) that along with other NYCHA, potential NYCHA costs, there's Nothing new in the budget, in his executive budget for the BQX project, but that we should expect news on that soon. So that's another thing that might be in there ahead of the adopted. So some things to watch for. Yeah, let's not not go down the BQX uh, rabbit hole right now. So we're in our last few minutes here. Let's talk a little bit about savings and reserves because these are very key components. They go back to this conversation about the fact that the city even has the ability to – put more in reserve or has the reserves that it has and what the city's doing about spending which is a uh, and savings which are big questions in the de Blasio era I will say before we get to that um, I don't think we'll talk much about the capital plan today right. but people should know and we've touched on this but mm-hmm. there's an expense budget and a capital budget and they're yeah. different and we mostly spend time on the expense budget operating budget whichever you want to call it but um, the capital budget is Huge as well, tens and tens of billions of dollars, and maybe we'll have a separate episode yeah, on we that. Should, we should talk about it. It deserves a lot more scrutiny, but let, yeah, we'll confine this episode to the operating yes. <laughs> All right. So, Anna, um, savings and, and reserves. Um, the mayor likes to say he's they're finding a lot of savings. The mayor likes to say they have a lot in reserves. Tell us the, the truth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... So the budget has a citywide savings program. Um, this is the third one in this um, sort of cycle. There was one with the preliminary budget. There was also a proposal back in uh, no- last November. Um, so the mayor called on OMB to find at least $500 million in savings between fiscal 18 and 19 um, in this budget, and they came up with uh, $754 million and put forth a savings plan that over the full five years is worth $1.4 billion. Um, one of the sort of shortcomings that we've called on is that they rely a lot on re-estimates, uh, revenues that are unexpected or come in greater than expected, spending that is a little bit lower, um, especially in the area of debt service. Uh, the city tends to be extremely conservative in forecasting their debt service costs, and then they realize substantial savings. Um, so of that $1.4 billion of savings that they found, 40% is from debt service. And so in terms of really calling upon the agencies to be efficient, to do more with less, to optimize their services, um, 
that, you know, we feel that they've been falling short in those areas, and this plan was no different. You know, this cycle is these sort of three plans together um, are smaller than the savings plans in the two preceding budget cycles. So over time, um, they're coming up with less and less savings, and that's another area of concern. It's less and less savings and more and more reliance on debt service. And Right, and, and people always ask, well, how does this compare, you know, to other mayors? And what we, you know, we did some work recently that compared um, the savings programs under Mayor de Blasio to those under Mayor Bloomberg in the final years of his administration. And, you know, what's what's significantly smaller is the share that is dedicated to these efficiencies, you know, initiatives that make government run better and do more with less. And it, so it's it's really worth noting that here. And that, yeah, and that's been just such a big question mark under this mayor as he's had all this money to spend and spent so much of it. And let's go to reserves, put a bunch of money in reserves. Mm -hmm. The question of having savings and being efficient continues to be raised. Mm -hmm. And there's just really not great answers on that front. And I'll just say lastly, in addition to the debt service, there's also, you know, all these positions that are budgeted for, mm -hmm. right? Headcount, even more headcount that's budgeted for than mm -hmm. not filled, and that's counted as savings. I mean, as you said, Anna, the, the actual savings are right. questionable. And I, perhaps we'll end it here, but, you know, what, what they have in reserve, they ha carry a general reserve of a billion dollars in this $90 billion budget, um, about 250 for capital budget and debt-related reserves. Um, and then, of course, they do deserve a lot of credit for $4.25 billion that they've placed in the Retiree Health Benefits Trust. We don't see this at CBC as a, as a reserve for the operating budget because we think it should serve its intended purpose, which is to counteract the $90 billion liability we have for this retiree health insurance we talked about at the top of the program, right? So we think, you know, and, and that's, that's partly the criticism here, which is, you know, you're kind of managing, okay, uh, on an annual basis, your budgets, you're getting by, you're allowed to spend more because you have the revenues there to facilitate that. But what are the actions that are kind of looking at the long-term fiscal health of the city? Um, and, you know, it would be great to see a policy that says, okay, we're not going to touch that money. We're going to build reserves in other ways, like what they're doing actually with the pension fund, which is to say we anticipate costs will grow and we're putting a little money in in the out years of the plan to deal with that. Um, and we'll also come up with a serious plan to limit our capital budget and, and be smarter about the investment so we reduce our long-term debt burden um, and come up with a policy for how we will begin to reduce the size of the OPEB liability and then begin to fund it. It'd be great to see that, Mr. Mayor. you got three more years. I hope to be very happily surprised with what I see. Very good. We will leave it there. Maria um, breaking down what should happen so we know uh, how, to, how to hold the mayor accountable there. Anna, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And thank, thank you. you for listening. Bye.